verses of this chapter, the first 13 verses. And I'm going to say something I, I, I'm always careful to say when, when I preach. I've been guilty from time to time of um, leading into a scripture or story and saying, well, you're probably familiar with this. Uh, maybe I'm talking about um, Adam and Eve. And I'll say, well, you're probably familiar with this. And I've, I have to be careful about that because I don't ever want to assume. We know that some people are brand new to the faith. You may be brand new in your walk with Jesus. You may really have never studied the Bible. You may not be familiar with some of these stories. And I don't ever, ever um, intentionally want anybody to feel um, judged. You know, if you're like, oh, I don't know that story. Well, that's okay. Then you're in the right place to learn it. But all that being said, I'm going to say this with confidence. These words I'm about to read in Luke chapter 11, you are familiar with. If this is your first time in church, and you've never been to church, and you have no idea what it means to be a Christian, you at least have heard these words, because we just prayed them 10 minutes ago. So this will not be the first time anybody here will have heard these words that Jesus speaks, because this is his teaching on prayer. And in this teaching, he introduces us to the prayer that is familiar to most of us, which is the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to hear this scripture again, Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, and we also forgive, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask now, humbly, that you'd speak to our hearts and our lives and, and our faith and shape us into the image, into the likeness, into the reflection of Jesus, that we would be more like you. We pray it in your holy name. Amen. I want you to do a little mental exercise with me for a moment. And that is to... Place yourself in the story. Place yourself in these moments of Luke chapter 11. Place your, your, yourself into this conversation with Jesus. If you had been a part of the disciples, if you had walked with him through his ministry, if you had been there when Peter, James, and John received that call, Andrew and Nathaniel had received that call, you would have heard and seen 
amazing things. By this time in Jesus' ministry, you would have seen him resurrected two children from the dead. You would have seen him feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. You would have seen him walk on the water. You'd have even seen Peter for a few moments walk on water. You'd have seen him calm a storm. You'd have seen him cast demons out of the possessed, give sight to the blind, blind, have the lame and afflicted get off their mat and walk. You'd have even seen a party continue because he turned some water into wine. You would have heard amazing things. You'd have seen the way that he captivated crowds with his teachings and with his stories. You'd have heard parables. And you'd have heard faith in God and obedience taught in a way that you had never heard before. Your faith would have been completely reshaped through this teachings, these teachings of Jesus. You'd have heard a preacher like no other. And you'd have seen the way that he connected with people. You'd have seen the compassion that not only he taught, but that he lived as he spoke to the heart of a woman drawing water from a well. Or he called a tax collector out of a tree and broke bread with him. Or he invited sinners and gluttons to his table. Or he spoke kindly to a woman who touched his garment because she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Over and over, you'd seen the way he looked into the heart of people and he understood people and he loved people. You would have seen, heard, and experienced things that you could never have begun to imagine. And now you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to ask this man to teach you one thing. To teach you one thing. What is it about Jesus that you want to be like? What is it that he does that you want to model and mimic and reflect in your own life? Lord, teach me what? Well, yeah, to pray. That's how the story goes. But is that what you'd have asked for? I don't think I would have. Not me. I'll admit my own ego. I'd have been like, Lord, I really want to do those miracles. Can you teach me how to do that? I really would love to be able to, to give sight to the blind or, or legs to the lame. I, that's, I think, or at the very least, as a, as a preacher, Lord, if you could give me some of that. Give me a little bit of that. How do I teach like you teach? How do I see what you see? How do I connect with people the way you do? How do I change lives with my words the way, the way that you do? Those are the things I'm sure I would have asked for. I wonder what you would have. Well, again, we know what the disciples asked for. They didn't ask for any of that. The only place in the Gospels they ask Jesus to teach them anything is right here. Well, this in the same story in Matthew chapter 6. And they say this, in a moment, I think, of incredible wisdom. The disciples don't often get a lot of credit in their walk with Jesus prior to the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. They don't get a lot of credit for getting it and being, being smart and insightful. But this is a moment they got it. And they don't ask for any of the things I would have asked for. They say this, Lord, teach us to pray. 
teach us to pray. And in the next moments, Jesus gives that example of prayer that we are intimately familiar with. Because it's the most known prayer, I believe, in all the world. It is a prayer that is shared in worship across denominations and faith expressions that not all churches, but but many, if not most churches, incorporate into the, the liturgy of worship that we incorporate into the liturgy of worship, the Lord's Prayer, as our voices join together and we say, Our Father who art in heaven. And we pray a version of this prayer. A version. Now, this is a a simplified version of that, a little more in Matthew and a little more that's been since added. But this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. This and the parable that would follow. And it teaches us so much. And there's a lot of things. Usually when we come to prayer, and people say to me as a a pastor, they'll say, can you teach me how to pray? Can you teach me how to pray? And most of the time, what that question means is, can you give me kind of a model for prayer? Can you give me an outline or an example of of how do I pray? What are the things that I say? And and that's okay. That's a fair question, and and you're free to ask it. And there's a lot of wonderful models and, and ways that we can pray. That's a good question and a good thing to explore. But not today. Rather, I don't want to explore the mechanics of prayer or the, the specifics of a pattern of prayer, but don't look at the heart of prayer, specifically our heart as we approach prayer. What are the things that, that we learn from these moments that we bring to prayer? Because Jesus says something very interesting. Keep in mind, the, the disciples ask the question after they've seen Jesus praying again. And they say to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And notice the first words of his response. Jesus says, When you pray. Don't skip over that, because that's easy to miss. When you pray. Notice, he does not say, if you pray. He doesn't say, well, you know what? If prayer is your spiritual gift, or if you feel called to prayer, Jesus says, when you pray. And there's a powerful and significant implication there, that a relationship with God through me, to be my disciple, To be a follower of Jesus, the implication is prayer is not an optional thing. Prayer is an essential thing. When you pray, there's not a lot of wiggle room there for for saying, well, maybe prayer isn't that important. Maybe prayer doesn't matter for me. Maybe it's important for someone else. No, uh uh-uh. When you pray. And Jesus launches into an example of prayer and a parable about prayer. And I want us to think about both of those things together this morning. And the first is this, when we pray, what do we bring to prayer? And this is the first thing we bring. When we pray, we pray with a heart of gratitude. When we come to prayer, we pray with a heart of gratitude. Now that's not always easy, and I've got to explain that a little bit, because there are times when we pray we're not feeling particularly grateful. So what are you saying that we should be grateful for, Chris? And it's not a grateful because of the things in our lives. Sometimes we're not very grateful about the things we're experiencing in life. Our gratitude comes not from our experience, but from God's. We are grateful because this prayer teaches us first and foremost who God is. And our hearts of gratitude starts not with who we are, but with who God is. And it is encapsulated in the first two words of the Lord's Prayer that we recite together every week. Our Father. 
Jesus, and we've talked about this before, He's the one that really introduces this concept of the fatherhood of God that is deeply intimate, deeply personal, deeply relational. Abba, Daddy. That's what that word means. And we understand God through the lens of a perfect father. Not all of us, none of us had perfect fathers on earth. Not one of us here had a perfect father. Not one of us is a perfect father or a perfect mother. But all of us had various degrees of that. Some of you didn't have and don't have good relationships with your fathers. And I know that lens can be tough. But we don't see God through the lens of our earthly fathers. We understand what it means to be an earthly father or mother through the lens of who God is. And God is the perfect father. And that perfect father is encapsulated in this word Abba, Daddy. It's deeply relational. He embraces us as a father embraces his son or daughter, as a mother embraces her son or daughter with a perfect and a sacrificial love. And so we're invited. We don't come to God as, as a God who is, we have to appease, an angry God who is, who is looking to rain down his judgment. We approach God as a God who loves us the way that we would love a child. And that is something for us to be incredibly and profoundly grateful for. That word father is really important. In fact, there's, there's a push in some theological circles to try to get away from language like that because it's very masculine. You know, it's, 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 it's male-dominated language of God. And, and rightly, some of those, those voices will say, we need to balance that. God is not male or female. That is true. And, and God is, does not just exhibit masculine qualities of love, but also feminine qualities of God. That is true. That is absolutely true. And we need to be sensitive to our language and to people's experiences. That is true. But the danger is when we begin to push away from language like Father, we begin to push away from a very personal understanding of who God is. We begin to push away from language that Jesus used, that Paul used. He says, God gave us a spirit of sonship or daughtership. And we cry out, Abba, Father. He talks about this in Galatians. He talks about this in Romans. And I had a, a, a professor in seminary, a theology professor by the name of Dr. Jeffrey Wainwright. And he was a British, or is a British Methodist. And I had this wonderful British accent. One day he was being pushed by a student about using the language of Father for God. And they were kind of going back and forth in this, in this respectful conversation. And finally he just looked at the student. He said, young lady, it boils down to this. God, I mean, Jesus called God Father. I'm going to call God Father. And I think there's profound truth there. Jesus did, not because God is male or female, but because God is a father who longs to embrace, to love, to, to welcome his children into his presence. So we come with gratitude for God who always welcomes us in, who has no closed doors, no moments where uh, he's off limits to us. So we begin prayer with an attitude of gratitude. When you pray, pray with gratitude. Here's the second thing. When you pray, pray with persistence. Now, this is relating to the parable. And it is an odd parable. It's an odd story. I want you to think about this. Jesus says, he's teaching about prayer, and this is basically what he says. I'm going to paraphrase it. So you have a friend comes in to visit. Hospitality, a culture of the day. No matter when a guest arrived, you opened your door to your guest. But they come at 12.30 at night. you got no food. They're hungry. They've been traveling. Their flight's been delayed. you got nothing to eat. 
So you go to your neighbor, your friend, and you begin to knock on their door at 1230 at night and ask for some food. And they look at you and they say, are you out of your ever-loving mind? I've gone to bed. My family's gone to bed. Go away. This is what Jesus says. He says, though, he will not give up, get up and give you the bread because of friendship. Basically saying, your friendship ain't that strong. Yet because of your, hear these words, shameless audacity. Your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now be careful with stretching the parable too much. Jesus is not saying God is a God who doesn't want to be bothered with us. But what he's saying is that the nature of prayer is we are shamelessly audacious with it. We are persistent. I even dare say we get obnoxious with prayer. That you don't stop. I was thinking about the image of a child and their parent. You know, um, my, my nephew, Aiden, 18 months, right? My brother, David, is here visiting, flying back to Denver today. His youngest son, my nephew, who we baptized, I don't know how many months ago, a year ago, um, Time goes so fast. But he's at that age and that stage where he's starting to, to use words. And, of course, one of those first words that he says is mama. Well, here, mama, mama. And then there's nothing more wonderful for a mother when she first starts to hear a child say that or for a father when, when daddy says, which is usually later. Um, but I started to think about there's a day that will come in my sister-in-law's life and has, because they have two kids, in all of our lives, when you kind of regret your kid learning that word. Because there's a day that'll come when this is what she's going to hear. Mama, 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 mama. And persistent, nonstop, until Aiden or any child gets the attention that they want. Okay? In some ways, that's what Jesus is saying in prayer. is like, keep at it. Keep at it. Because God does hear you. What happens is we get defeated in prayer. We quit because we're not getting what we're asking for. And prayer is never that. Prayer is never, um, God's not the genie in the bottle. You know, our ask comes through the lens of faith. What happens is we don't see God working sometimes. We don't see things happening. We think there's no point in this. God's not hearing. God's not responding for whatever reason. And we stop. And we hit those moments of what I call desert places, where our prayer life just shrivels and dies. Jesus is saying, no, persistence in prayer. Keep at it. Keep at it. You have a, father, a heavenly Father that's honored by your prayers, honored by your trust, and even when you don't see God working, know God's working. Even when you don't get the answers you're searching for, know that doesn't mean your prayers aren't being answered. God is hearing. God is responding. God is faithful. Persist in your prayers. Persist in your prayers. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop asking. Continue. So be grateful. Be persistent. And then here's the third part. Be expectant. When you pray, be expectant. God answers prayers. Now, Sometimes God answers prayers exactly the way we want Him to. And sometimes God answers in what we need, not what we want. But I want to warn us about understanding the power of prayer too narrowly. Because a lot of times, if I stand before you 
and I say, you know what, I was praying for so-and-so, and they were battling cancer, or they had a great need in their life, and God has answered the prayers. Your assumption is going to be the need has been met, the illness has been cured, the problem has passed. Because prayer becomes other-focused. We see prayer as an opportunity to petition on behalf of someone else. That is an important part of prayer. But friends, hear this. Prayer also is effective because of what God does to us, in us, and through us in the act of prayer. Prayer is about a relationship. It's a conversation. It's an invitation God gives us to be in conversation with him. And very often, the, the answer to prayers is what God begins to do through us, even as we pray for the other. I want you to think about this. I grabbed one of the, the, uh, the Christmas child boxes. And you know what? This could be true for a pack of sack. sack. It could be true for your bag of groceries that you buy to donate to the food pantry. It could be true of any number of ways we're called to reach out to each other. But we, we tell you, when you pack these, pray for the child that will receive it. And you should, and we will. What happens is we start to think that the power of prayer, the focus of prayer, is what God's going to do on the other end of this box. God's going to do on the other end when these are distributed, which most of us will never see. But you know what also begins to happen? God begins to change us through prayer, through the act of opening our hearts and the things that we do. Because what happens is God begins to work on us. So even a simple act of buying a few things at a Walmart or a Dollar General to put into a box for a child we know that somewhere needs them desperately begins to open our eyes to the ways that we can see the needs of the world. We begin to change. It begins to open our hearts to the, to the needs and the struggles of others in our community and beyond. It begins to change our spirit. It begins to open our minds to the things God's speaking and the ways that we can love others and care for others, it begins to change our actions. In other words, what prayer begins to do is to begin to make us more like Jesus. And so prayer doesn't become just about what will happen to someone else. God answers prayer because of what begins to happen to us as he speaks into our lives. Now, it is an interesting that of all the things they could have asked for, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Is it not probable that they understood something deeply profound, that the miracles that Jesus performed, the words that he spoke, and the love that he showed were all built on his prayer life? That who he was was because of the God that he knew intimately and powerfully. That the prayer, prayer, was the foundation of everything that he did. So if you wanted to preach like Jesus, you first had to learn to pray like Jesus. If you wanted to meet needs like Jesus, you had to learn how to pray like Jesus. If you wanted to heal like Jesus, you had to pray like Jesus. That's the truth for them, and it's the truth for us. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. With gratitude, with persistence, and with expectation because prayer begins to shape us. It doesn't just bless the other. It changes us as God speaks into our lives, as God shapes us into the reflection of Jesus. I confess to you, my prayer life isn't where it needs to be. But you know what? If you're honest, 
Probably neither is yours. So let us hear Jesus' words again. When you pray. When you pray. Gratitude, persistence, expectancy. Let that be the truth of our lives because we surely know it was the truth of his. And with that, friends, let us pray. Dear Lord, um, we are not where we ought to be. None of us are. Not a person in the hearing of my voice is where we need to be. Lord, help us not to hear that as words of judgment or condemnation, but as a challenge to grow in faith, to make prayer the central part of our relationship with you, to open our hearts in intentional quiet times and in busy chaotic times to hear your voice and to live into the relationship so that not only will others be blessed and changed, but that we will be blessed and changed. You are our Heavenly Father. You love us. You embrace us. You welcome us in. Help us to come persistently and expectantly to the throne room of grace where we encounter your presence and are changed into the likeness of Jesus. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.